Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. For those of uh, you, and we have those in this congregation or people in this world, who have pain that is constant, each and every day, they wake up with that pain. And it's going to be with them throughout the day. And when they lie down at night, that pain goes with them and it will awaken with them in the morning again. I have no clue what that's like, but God's given me just a little bit of glimpse of what that's like. But I know this, and that's that I've got hope. And each of us have hope. And I know that even though my body is failing, because I'm definitely at that point in life where it's headed downhill, that there's going to be a day when I hurt no more, where my body will never fail again, that this mortal will put on immortality. This flesh will become spiritual, and all of the pains that we have in this life will be gone. That's our hope. And we hope because we're saved. I want to talk about that hope this morning for a while. In Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks to that hope. And he said, we're saved in this hope. Our salvation is tied to our hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Our patience is tied into that. Our salvation is tied into that. And brothers and sisters, we eagerly wait for it. He continues to tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. What are those grounded and rooted in? In our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have a blind faith. We don't just ignorantly follow things that are written because there's no evidence and there's no proof. Our faith has empirical evidence. Our hope is built in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that hope is seen, not now by you and I, but by our Father in heaven. Think about that. It's not a blind hope. It's one that is seen right now by our Father because He stands outside the limitations that you and I have. He sees that hope. Now I want to make sure that you and I have a common definition of hope that we're working off of this morning. I believe that Bible hope is different than what is commonly used in our English language today. Now, we've already seen some things that our hope is based on. First of all, it's salvation. It's in Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's sight. But it's sight through God. Hope, that particular word normally translated as hope in the Bible. We trust to wait for, to look for, desire something or someone, and to expect something beneficial 
in the future. When we talk about hope, is that what we're talking about? Let's see. Oftentimes, we'll ask people, are you saved? Brother Craig, are you saved? Amen. You know what we normally say? I hope so. Because why? We don't want to seem presumptuous or prideful or arrogant. We don't want to presume to know what God is going to say on the day of judgment. But brethren, we already know. We know what He's going to say. And yes, we hope for that salvation, but it's rooted in Jesus Christ our Lord. And like the Apostle Paul said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He didn't say, well, maybe there is and I might get there. It's there. Jesus went to do what? To build us a mansion. It's built. He's waiting on us. What's He waiting for? The Father to say, bring my children home. Bring them to the promised land. It's already there. It's ours. Do we hope? Yes, because we haven't seen. But we know. I hope so. Doubt? Do you trust in your salvation? you trust in that? You and I sin. We make mistakes. We do things contrary to the will of our Father. We break the covenant. And yet God has said that He will forgive that sin. He sent His Son to die to bring that covenant into effect to shed that blood. Do we trust in that? He promised that. Are you waiting for Jesus to come again? Do we look forward to that day? Do we ever think about it? We already know that everything this year is going to be destroyed. It's not going to exist. The things that we labor for here, that we pray about, that we earnestly seek, are going to go away. Do we look for Jesus to come again? Do we desire that? Is that where our heart's desire is? Is that what's important to us? If you look at the resources that we have, our time, our money, our thoughts, is it about Jesus coming again? Or is it about paying bills tomorrow? Do we expect to reach the promised land? Is that an expectation of yours? Should be. Should be. I want to go through a story here and use it as an illustration. We're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 7 because our brother Stephen, the first recorded martyr in the scripture, is going to remind those who are trying to condemn him of things that they already know. Things that you and I already know. And then we're going to go to the book of Exodus where this was actually taking place. And I go to Acts 7 for brevity. And I use this because the Holy Spirit is an infinitely better storyteller than I. And I know there's going to be no mistakes when I read God talking about God. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse number 2, and again, I just want to remind you, Stephen is brought before brethren who are condemning him and eventually will stone him to death for this faith and testimony, the hope that he has. In Christ Jesus. 
Stephen said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Iran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives, Lord willing, we'll talk more about that in a later sermon, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he, Abraham, came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. God gave him no inheritance even in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land. For those of you blessed to be in our Isaiah study on Wednesdays, know that this is Egypt, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. Prophecy that's coming. Abraham, you're going to have descendants. Here's what's going to happen. Why did he tell him that? So they would know that he is God. And they could confirm their hope. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. So, uh-oh, I must have goofed something up. There we go. To look at some things that God put in terms of that prophecy. First of all, Abraham's going to have descendants. They're going to dwell in a foreign land. They're going to be in bondage for 400 years. We'll talk about that a little bit. But we're really going to focus on God judging those oppressors, and then bringing His people. And as far as I know, this is the first time in the Scripture that they're called His people. He's going to lead them out of bondage. And then they'll serve Him in this place. Back to Acts chapter 7, He gave him the covenant of circumcision, so Abraham begot Isaac, and circumcised him on the eighth day. Notice this is prior to the Mosaical law, by the way. This covenant already in effect. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. There it is right there, the descendants of Abraham. Why is that important? Because the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. We already got one into that land of bondage, right? What a wonderful story about Joseph. We won't digress to go into that. But remember, sold into slavery. And the faith and the hope that Joseph had because why he knew that he was there for a purpose. And here's part of the purpose. God was with him, delivered him out of all his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house, went from a slave to the governor over everything in his house. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people, the descendants of Abraham. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. He and our fathers, they settled in the land of Goshen. They were in Egypt. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Uh-oh. Bad things happen, right? We had a really good relationship. Things were working well. We had stuff worked out. I'm the number two guy in the country. Everything is wonderful. He dies. New guy comes along. I don't know him. What happens? This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they may not 
live. Now, what kind of life are these people experiencing every day? You know, you and I think that freedom is a right. We've got a document that says that. These people had no freedom. Are we superior to them? Or are we more fortunate than they are? I have surely seen the oppression of my people, God says, who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. You ever groaned? You ever had so much oppression in your life that you didn't even know what to say to God? When you thought about Him and your prayer, you just groaned. That's a rough life. And God's people were enduring that. He heard their groaning. God said, I've come down to deliver them. What a great, great piece of news there. And now come, I will send you, Moses, to Egypt. After he had shown signs and wonders, or wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness, 40 years, he's going to deliver. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? He brought them out. Yes, he did. Now he started, and I'm sure we remember this part of the story, right? He started with the ten plagues. Boom! A lot of us as children did what? We memorized those in order, right? We had all kinds of different ways that we memorized those. I remember one of the things I was talking about, a locust, you know, it's like a grasshopper spitting that juice out. I'm not sure what that had with me remembering it, but it was there. The ten plagues. We know that God used that, by the way, against all of the idols of Egypt to show that He was the one true God, to demonstrate His power and His glory. And that in front of Him, they're nothing. And then afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Remember, he was set to do that, right? And they went in and had a chat with Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, we're going to deliver God's message to you. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Do you know God has that same message for Satan today? To those who oppress us. And he says, let my people go. When his people are in bondage, God has a message for the oppressors. Let my people go. Now, Pharaoh responds. And he says, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. He just condemned himself, didn't he? I don't know the Lord. What a horrible statement. What a self-condemning statement. I don't know the Lord. Oh, he's going to come to know him. And he's going to ask for his blessing before this is through. Our God does not hide. He is evident in everything, the very nature that we see around us. He's immutable. He is undeniable. For those of us who know him and proclaim him, the hope that we have 
in waiting for the day that we stand before him is not a fearful day for us. It's a day of joy. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let, not re- and let them not regard false words. Moses and Aaron went and delivered the word of God. What was the result of that? <laughs> Taskmaster just got worse, right? How did God's people answer to that? The officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. You ever been in trouble? As a kid, I knew that when my entire name came out. Right? When my mother would say, Christopher, Darrell, I knew I was in trouble. If there was any doubt before, there was none now. And there was judgment coming. Children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you should not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then, as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them, and they said to them, What about you and I? We ever gone to God for comfort and consolation for relief? And when it didn't happen exactly the way we wanted it, did we want to look around and blame other people? Blame God, maybe? Look what they say. They met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them, and he said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. Are they judging Moses and Aaron? Oh, yeah. Do we ever judge people? I don't know about you. I have. I have. And I've done it wrongly. I've done it falsely. And I do my best to repent of that and never have that happen again. They're judging them here. Because you have made us a port in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. Look what you did, Moses and Aaron. You caused this. Now these are the same people that were groaning saying, God, come in and deliver us. And God said, I'm coming. I'm going to deliver you. But one thing the children of God have forgotten. It's all about God. It's not about them. And so many times you and I forget we're not the center of the universe. It's not about us. It's about His glory. His honor. It's about God. And God's going to use this and He's going to deliver His people. But He's going to do it for His glory can happen with us as well you made us a port in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us we were just groaning about our life before but look how bad it is now so Moses returned to the Lord what he say Lord why have you yep the blame game just keeps going God why would you do this You brought trouble on this people. 
Why is it you have sent me? Why? The eternal question we always want to know. When calamities happen, why? Why me? Why her? Why not me? And God says, not about you. Life gets a whole lot simpler when we understand it's not about us. It's about Him. We died to self. We're living for Christ. Are we really? If we have, why is everything about us? It's about Him. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, I gave him your message, he's done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. You promised you were going to do it. You didn't do it the way we wanted it. You didn't do it when we wanted it. What's wrong with you? I can't imagine the courage it took to go and tell God that. Whew. Scares me to think about it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. See? Because again, it's not about you. I just needed this to happen. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will deliver them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Remember that he wasn't known by this name to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. He was known as Almighty God, but he wasn't known as the great I am as Jehovah. That's a name he gave to Moses to prove that he is the one and true God and this is the one that sent you. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Who's it about? About God. It's all about Him. The great I am. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. He had already done nine. He's on the tenth plague. Afterward, he'll let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Exodus chapter 11 and verse 1. Then Moses going to speak to the children of Israel. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of, of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there should be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Brothers and sisters, He makes a difference between His people today and those outside of this covenant, we're not the same. He doesn't treat us 
the same. The promises that you and I have are not theirs. The hope that you and I have is not theirs. We have what they need. And it was given to us by our God. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, Get out. And all the people who follow you, after that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. They were there a total of 430. They were in bondage for 400. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years on that very same day. And it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that's very peculiar to me. See, the armies of the Lord were already in Egypt. And as the children were coming out, the armies went out first. Why do you suppose that is? Could it be that God's going to fight the battle for them? Just like He fights ours? Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the, by the land of the Philistines. Note a couple of things. Number one, God's leading His people. God always leads His people. It's up to us to follow His lead, not determine where we want to go. Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds. Now, there was a close place for them to go to. That would have been really, really easy. But God didn't lead them there, and He didn't do it to be mean to them or make it hard. He said, if I put you over there, what's going to happen? You can't stand a temptation. Does He work that way in our lives today? Amen. There's times when we want things. And God says, you can't have it. Not because I'm mean. Not because as your father, I don't love you or want you to have it. It's because I do love you. And you can't handle it. They couldn't handle it. Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, return to bondage. You and I have been delivered from bondage. We've been delivered out of that bondage of sin. And if we're not careful, there's things we're going to desire that we're going to see with our eyes that are easy for us that would put us right back in bondage. And when we pray to God and we say, Lord, deliver us from temptation, He says, I'm trying. But you're taking the easy route. You're not following me. We need to follow Him. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it is, no matter whether we can see the logic behind it or not, God's got a purpose. Lest perhaps the people change their minds, return to Egypt, so God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. They weren't running. They weren't scared. They left in order. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, as Joseph told him to do, for he placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them. Why did the armies leave Egypt first? They're preparing a way. He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, 
God always is going to provide for us life if we're following His pathway. So as to go by day and night, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. They were always buffered and protected. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Now I don't know exactly where that is and I'm not sure anybody else does because half of the markers we look for we can't even identify today. But I'm going to give you a satellite look at that in just a minute. And I'm going to tell you, that's some rough terrain. I've been in some pretty austere places in my life. When I look at that, I'm like, ooh, that's ugly. And I'll tell you what God's going to do. He's going to put them in a position where there's no retreat. There's no way for them to run. They're boxed in. There's no way out. He does that by intent. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. Why else would they go there, right? The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor. What's this all about? It's about God. It is about Him. And if we serve Him, we understand that. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They camped there. Now you and I are going to get into situations too. And sometimes we may get into situations so that God can be honored. And are we the tool by which that happens? That may very well be. And when persecution comes our way, when temptation comes our way, when trials are set before us, do we complain and want to go back into bondage? Or is it enough for us to know that God can be honored and glorified through our suffering? Is it enough? It's always about God. It's always about His honor. And again, what happens to our hope when we're placed in difficult situations, even when you and I are struggling, our hope can be intact. Do we trust? Do we believe? Do we have patience? Do we have hope? There's a little satellite look at that area. That's two fingers of the, of the, dead, or the uh, Red Sea coming up. I don't know exactly where they cross. Don't know that anybody does. But I know they crossed the Red Sea because God told me they did. And I know that's some tough territory. Most people think they got in between those two fingers coming up. And then Pharaoh's army came down on top of them. There's nowhere to go, brethren. I can tell you as a military guy, that's the last place you want to go. It's ugly. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness when they left. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Haharoth before Baal-Zephon. Ooh, he got them trapped. He brought his whole army out. He got everything there. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel saw the army. What was their reaction? They've already heard the word of God. They know the promise that's out there. They've already been delivered from bondage. They hadn't even got lost in the wilderness 40 years yet. 
They lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. You know what? It's not bad to be afraid. It's okay. We can be afraid as long as it doesn't adversely affect our hope. It's okay. Because when we're afraid, Jesus is going to reach down. He's going to grab our hand. And he's the one that's going to pull us out of that water like he did Peter when he was drowning. He's going to steal the waters for us. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Can you imagine leaving bondage and all of a sudden now they're like, it was better there? Really? You were grown in there. They were killing your kids as they came out of the womb. They oppressed you so hard, your life expectancy was less than 35 years. And your life stunk from birth. Should we go back? Is this not the word that we have told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the the Egyptians than we should die in a wilderness. I'm going to tell you right now, there are fates worse than death. Many fates that are worse than death. For a Christian, death is not the end, it's the beginning. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're looking for because that's the start of our eternal journey. That's when we get rid of all of these trappings here that hold us down and limit us, that keep us from being in the physical presence of our Almighty God. Death is not something we abhor, we hate, or we run from. What's worse than that? Staying here in this tent, in this flesh. This is a picture of hopefully something that that might have looked like if we were one of the children of Israel. There's really no place to go. There's mountains around us. There's water in the back and on the sides. And there's the Egyptian army. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel. Did the children of God forget that already? The armies of the Lord left Egypt before they did. Oh, there's a fight coming. Sure is. The angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went before them and stopped and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Pharaoh couldn't break through that. They were protected. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What was the difference between that cloud? To one, it was a buffer that stopped them. They couldn't see through. They couldn't get where they wanted. To the other one, what did it do? It protected and saved them. It gave them light. There's a serious contrast in this world between good and evil, between God and Satan between you and I and those outside the covenant. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. I don't know about you, but every time I watch a movie or have some kind of, you know, something, somebody tell it's it's like Moses stretched out his hand and immediately, <clears throat> Red Sea parted, dry ground, right, and everybody takes off and they're marching. Didn't happen that way. 
Why? Because hope is rooted in also what? In our patience. He had a strong east wind come all night long. It drove the water back. It dried the ground for them to, to walk on the next day. Why? Because God couldn't do it like that? No, because He chose not to. Why? Because a witness for His people of His power and majesty. That's why. And made the sea go into dry land. The waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. Now notice they didn't go into ankle deep water. It's a sea. It's deep. He has made a pathway through that water. It's deep and it's on both sides of them. On their right hand and on their left. And when God allowed them, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's army, his horses, his chariots, and his horsemen pursued the children. You know, it's the same way today. There are people out who claim that they're on the same road that we're on, right? They have the same promise that you and I have of that promised land, but guess what? They're not doing it God's way. This again is a depiction of what that could have looked like. I don't like this because I think it was a whole lot wider. There were 600,000 men not counting animals, not counting their women, not counting their children. This would have been very wide. People going through. Would have taken a while. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians to the pillar of fire and cloud and He troubled the army of the Egyptians. I love this. You know when we pray a lot of times we're very specific. And again I've talked about I think we need to be specific but sometimes we're specific in terms of telling God how to do things. We need to get out of the business of telling God how to do things. He troubled the Egyptian army. What did he do? He took off their chariot wheels. I don't know if I was there would I pray God take their chariot wheels off. But he did. How did he do that? I don't know. He's God. He can do anything. Can you imagine if you're in the Egyptian army? And you're on these chariots because that was the instrument of war at the time. And you see these people unarmed. They got their women and children with them. They can't fight. They don't have any kind of instruments of war. And we're just waiting to go charging after them. And you look down, you don't even have wheels on the chariot. The army of the Lord already at work. So that they drove them with difficulty. I bet it was. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Those are smart people right there. Let's stop now. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared. Look at the time that's taking place here. How far was it to cross this Red Sea? It took a while. And when Moses stretched his hand out, when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right, 
uh, right hand and on their left hand. I can just think of my little grandkids who would have been really disappointed because they didn't have mud and puddles to jump in as they were going through there. It's like, boy, it's a waste of all this water and dirt, God. We could have been having fun. They crossed on dry land. Egyptians didn't make it. I don't know what that looked like. I am not the king like Travis of those things. I looked for a long time. I finally gave up. That was as close as I could find the Egyptians actually being covered by the water because I think that's important. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt so the people feared the Lord, believed the Lord and his servant Moses and their hope was strong. Now, remember where the Hebrews were headed when they left? To the promised land. After all they had seen and witnessed, after all that God had done and allowed them to experience, after God had saved them, after God had delivered them from bondage, did they trust? Did they believe? Did they have patience? Did they have hope? Do you think they hoped they would reach the promised land at this point? Now let's apply that to us. Let's remember where we're headed, brothers and sisters. We're headed to the promised land. After all we've seen and witnessed, you and I, we often talk about prayers being answered. And I'm going to tell you this, every prayer that we lift to God is answered. may not be the way we want it, may not be in our time. God answers every one of our prayers. After all that God had done and allowed, has done and allowed us to experience, after God has saved us, <clears throat> after God has delivered us from bondage, do we trust, do we believe, do we have patience? You and I, do we have hope? Are you saved? That's how we started this morning. Are you saved? I hope, but I hope because I'm saved. I don't hope that I'm saved. I'm hope, I hope because I'm saved. I hope because I trust in my salvation. I hope because I am waiting for Jesus to come again. I'm looking for that. I desire that. And brothers and sisters, I expect to reach the promised land. Why? Because my hope is rooted and grounded in my Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me. It's never about me. It's always about Him. If you're here this morning and you don't have this hope, you don't have this trust and this assurance, if you're not saved, today, if you're not confident of that salvation, there's a remedy for that. Just like the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. Those of us who are part of this covenant have also been baptized, but we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed, we've been saved, and our sins have been erased. You have that same promise to you today. Or if there's one here whose hope is faded, is not as strong as it should be, is not built on that trust like it should be, please come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com 
normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.